Friends, you may not know that in three Sundays, it will be Christmas. This is our family's favorite time of the year. Wonderfully, here in the UAE, I think we get just a very authentic and traditional Christmas picture. There are no chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Jack Frost is not and will not be nipping at your nose. The Yuletide carols will certainly not be being sung by choirs anywhere in Rack. Maybe at a couple of the hotels, actually, that's possible. And the last thing you're going to see is folk dressed up like Eskimos. So if there's no snow and the, instead of sleighs, we have four by fours, and instead of reindeer, we have camels in the parking lot, what is the point? What is it all about? Well, this is something we talk about all year long. Hopefully, if you've been attending uh, for a while, you can attest to this, that here at Rack Evangelical, this is the good news that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has left heaven and he's come to earth. Not just that, but he lived a perfect life, that he died on a cross, and that he amazingly rose again. That he is alive today, and that we worship him, and we praise him week in and week out. Why did he come to earth? What is the point? There are so many questions about why that happens, and that is what we look at at Christmas, his coming. Why did he come? Was God's plan messed up? Did Jesus really have to die? Maybe this was just a mistake. Did it even really happen? This is just something on a Western Christmas card. Is this true? So starting in Genesis 3 this week and over the next four weeks, as we walk uh, week in towards Christmas, uh, where we are going to be celebrating Jesus coming to earth, we're going to look at four passages that show us why this happened, how this was part of God's plan and how God is in total control. We'll see why Christians can celebrate and have hope, even though, as we all know too well, we mess up, we get things wrong, we sin, and we rebel against God every week. It has always been God's plan to save his people and to crush his enemies. Today we're going to look at Genesis 3 verses 14 and 15. So if you turn there with me, it's right at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 3. So I'm going to read uh, the first part of chapter 3 for us, and then we're going to be looking at our verses 14 and 15. So I'm just going to start at chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. The serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Lord, Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Those are our verses for today. Just those last two in verses 14 and 15. Having looked at that whole chapter, those preceding 13 verses, I want us to see a couple of things specifically there before we look at 14 and 15 together. So look at verses 1 to 13. Man and woman, you'll see them there, having been at the very pinnacle, the very top point of all creation, the pinnacle of relationship with God, the pinnacle of abundance and of provision, the pinnacle of knowledge and of pure joy and peace in the garden with the, we see it there, the daily presence of God at the end of each day. Having been at the pinnacle, we now see the fall. We see the turning away, the falling of man away from what they had with God. The man and woman have clearly been deceived by the, by the serpent there. But it's their responsibility. You see, God will punish, punish them and he will throw them out of the garden. We're going to look today at specifically how he will punish the serpent though. As we walk through these two verses together, we see what it really means to be an enemy of God. I think the main point of these two verses that we're going to be looking at is to reject God means death, but we can have life through Christ. To reject God means death, but we can have life through Christ. As we look at our two verses, I'm just going to be looking at two points, one from 14, one from 15. Verse 14, the snake is cursed. Verse 15, the snake will be crushed. 
Verse 14, the snake is cursed. And verse 15, the snake will be crushed. So look there at verse 14 and our first point, the snake is cursed. As we come to verse 14, look there with me. And having dealt with, let's call it the crime in verses 1 to 7, we then see the investigation by God in verses 8 to 13. And what we have here in our verses today is just the beginning of the verdict and the judgment that God is, being, is giving to the serpent and then to the woman and then to the man. In the investigation and the questioning, we see God speaking to the man and then the woman and then it concludes with the serpent. So in reverse order, we now see God dealing with these three very guilty parties. Their arguments, their reasons have been given. We heard them. And now what we see is the full weight of the holiness of God being poured out and explained for us. I think this morning we really need to hear the weight And the seriousness of these verses. What it means to reject and rebel against God. I think, and this is my hope for you this morning, that we also see the hope of God's plan through this. We really should. We should hear these first 13 verses. We should feel shocked. We should be saddened by what happened, for how it affects every person here Every person in the whole world ever created after Adam and Eve, young and old, no matter where you are from. But I hope that through our time we'll also see what God is doing. What he knew would happen, that everything happens within his will and within his hands. If it did not, then there would have been something greater than him. If he didn't know what was happening then it would all be out of his control. Both of those things completely impossible. To all we see, everything we've read, God is not shocked or surprised by these things. As we look down there at verse 14, as the words of God are recorded for us. Look there with me. I think he's clearly, without a doubt, speaking to the serpent and he cuts straight to the chase. He says, because you have done this. That's the Lord's opening remark. I think if we look there, that it automatically begs the question for us, what is the this that God is talking about? I think if you just have to look back at verse 13, that's Eve confirms it for us. She says, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Friends, this was the aim of the serpent from the outset. We See Eve immediately taking no responsibility for what she's done. She immediately turns and blames someone else. How true is that for each of us? How quick are we to say, it wasn't my fault? How quick are we to say, I, I just couldn't help myself. I had no choice. We are all too aware of the truth, I think. And chapter 3 just confirms this for us. We all have a choice. We have all chosen to rebel. We've all chosen to reject God. It starts 
in the garden. We see it here and it confirms today, continues today. We all do it. Friends, we cannot stand before God and say, it's not my fault. Christian, as you stand there before God, as you will one day, Jesus will say, I've taken your punishment. It is your fault. If you're a Christian, Jesus will say, I have taken your punishment. Look back there at verse 1. Scan up a little bit. We'll see there how the serpent is described as crafty. Other versions, other translations describe the serpent as subtle. As snakes have been created by God this way. This is what snakes are like. This is their gift. This is their gift from God. This is well known. It's why Jesus even says to the disciples as they go out, I am sending you out, so be wise as serpents. So here in this first point, we see that life will clearly never be the same for serpents. But I think it's wrong to see snakes as inherently wrong. For our focus to be whether or not we should hate hate snakes or not. I think we do know from the rest of scripture that this fall of man that we're looking at, this deception here led to a rejection. Is by the serpent. And the serpent is used here by the devil because of the serpent's God-given skills and abilities. We'll see there is a curse for snakes, but also this story has real meaning and real effect on our lives here today. This is not just a fable or an old myth or a legend. This is a true story and has effect on your life today. We'll have a look at a little bit more of a look at what is happening with the snake and with the man and the woman. But I want us to see that what happens here in this strange and curious event is real. It is so disruptive and destructive and completely despicable. It's affected everything and everyone after it. Here it only gets... 24 short verses, but everything in the Bible is affected by it. And we'll see in verse, 14, uh, in verse 15 that immediately following it, God alludes to the outcome that he is promising. But friends, we must feel the impact of these verses on all of us. It is in this disobedience, this rejection of God, that man is eventually removed from his position as priest In this garden sanctuary. We're seeing here the robes being removed from his back. As we see his rejection of God. We're seeing here an abdication of this God-given crown. To man on the throne of all creation. This was man's dominion to protect and to guard and to praise God for. In Adam's sin, in his Rejection of God and the worship of another, that is the devotion to another, is here that every man, every one of us here this morning, every man and woman is now a child of sin and death because of the sin of one man. Every man responsible. Every woman here accountable. In our strength 
in our own strength, we each stand before this holy God. What a terrifying prospect. The price is now death, where before there was life. A rejection of God can only now mean death. And for every person here, this is now our natural state. Every person here forever changed because we come from Adam. What we will see is that there is only one way that we can be saved. Now through one man, a second Adam, doing what the first did not. This is what has happened here. That is the this that God mentions there at the beginning of verse 14. Friends, if you are not a Christian here today, either knowingly or you're not sure if you're a Christian, I want you to understand, leaving here this morning, your position before God. This describes who you are. This story here is your story. I don't need to live with you. I don't need to have got to know you very well to know that you reject God every day and have done since the moment you were created. It's because of you. It is what you want to do. No one had to teach you how to lie. No one had to teach you to make bad choices. This is you. You are an enemy of God. I know this so deeply and so clearly because so was I. I was in exactly the same position. As we carry on, I hope you leave here also knowing that it doesn't have to carry on this way. God had a plan. What we're seeing here and what we're going to look at is plan A. But back in our verse, for the snake, there's a real curse being given here in verse 14 for what he has done in being part of this deception. As I said, the snake has been chosen by Satan for this key role because of the good things God made the snake to be. We immediately see what the rest of scripture confirms. It's important to be clear that we don't see in our verses today or even in this chapter Look there, you don't see the name Satan, you don't see the word devil there. But we do know from the rest of the Bible that it is Satan at work at this point. It is Satan that is deceiving man and encouraging these poor choices that the man is making. We know that Satan takes what is good and uses it for evil. That is how Satan, referred to by Jesus as a liar and the father of lies in John 8. This is exactly what Satan does. Jesus tells us there that there is no truth in him. He does it with the snake and he does it with the fruit. He does it in our lives. He takes what is lovely. He takes what is holy and ruins it. He cannot create but can and will use God's creation to lie and to deceive. Here we see him doing it with a serpent and then with the fruit, as I said. This is because he hates you. He hates man. This is all because he hates God. Friends, this is what he does. 
takes the good that God has created and wants to just twist it. He does that with sex. He does that with food. He does that with power. All the things we see here, all good created things from God, but all used to turn us away from our perfect and holy creator. Drive Satan mad that anyone would worship God and would not turn their backs on him. Friends, it drives Satan crazy that as a Christian, you would seek to honor God in your life and not just do what your heart tells you to. Make Satan so angry that you would believe God's word and seek to live for him instead of listening to what the world says. Instead of just doing you and just doing what you want to do. Drive Satan crazy. We see this reflected not just in Satan's actions here in chapter 3, but look there at his words. Look there at verses 8 to 14. See the name given by God, sorry, given to God by Moses. It says, Lord God, walking in the garden. Lord, Lord God called to the man. Lord God said to the woman. And the Lord God said to the serpent. Do you hear that? Moses is writing all of that. That Yahweh, the Lord God, has said and done. Look back further. Look at verses 1 to 7 as a comparison. The serpent just asks what God has done. Now certainly this, is, this name is used in many different ways here, but I think we're meant to see the difference. As people here, we're meant to recognize how the devil here is deliberately not submitting before God. God is not his Lord. He's calling on the man and woman to reject him. What is amazing for our verse is that although God with the the man and woman, he simply declares the situation to God, uh, to the serpent. He chats and discusses and asks questions of the man and the woman. But for the serpent, he just tells him what is happening. God is not phased by the devil. He does not care what the serpent has to say or what the serpent's opinion is. He simply declares this curse that we see the serpent will be under from now on. What is this curse? Well, the rest of the verse 14 I don't think is challenging for us to understand. And it is more crafty. And for its involvement it is now more cursed than any other. So we'll see the serpent will literally bite the dust. Friends, death is not far from its mouth or from its habitat. Now completely withdrawn from the serpent and out of reach are all the wonderful things God has made, his provision and his abundance. From the dust we've seen just two chapters before, all things have come. And now this symbol of death is what the serpent is said to eat. So here we are, despite being the only living creature made in God's image, enjoying the most wonderful position and prestige in the whole earth. Man turns against 
God and his word. All to listen and all to follow a snake. It's here, it's at this point that we see sin enter the world. It's here in chapter 3 that man breaks his relationship with God and completely rejects him. Friends, this is what sin is. It is to reject God and go against his word. It is to break his holy law. It's to not love him alone. To give your heart to something, to anything else. This is what the the devil wants from you. This is his chief desire, to steal the glory of God. As we read through the Bible, this is the first of many times where the devil thinks he's won. Every turn, he thinks he's found a way. He thinks he has finally won the battle and the war, despite all of his boldness. As we turn to point two, we will see There will come a time when the snake will be crushed. It's point two. Look there at verse 15 with me. The snake will be crushed. God continues speaking and he says to the serpent, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now Laura will confirm that's my wife she will confirm that i just love funny and silly videos on social media i watched one the other day it must have taken the guy weeks and weeks and probably months and months to plan but it was one of those engagement videos you know where they're doing a silly dance in different locations the same dance over and over again and then various trips and various backgrounds. So they're always doing the same dance, but the background changes. One time they're on a beach, next time they're at a restaurant, next time they're in front of the Eiffel Tower. Then uh, eventually, without the girl knowing, on the final recording, uh, the man then gets down on one knee and proposes. But that's because months before, he's been planning what's happening, already knowing the outcome. And this suddenly, he gets down on one knee, and it is just the sweetest thing. It's absolutely hilarious. I love seeing them. And guys, if you're not engaged, you need to take some notes. You just search out these kind of things. But you just can't use that one now because everyone will know where you heard it. The girls love it. It takes planning. It shows that you've thought about it. It shows the girl that you've been planning this engagement for weeks and weeks, for months and months. It was not just a, a spur of the moment thing. I think what we see wonderfully in this text and it happens right at the beginning of the bible story is that god planned this all along he knew what was happening he planned this from the beginning of time this plan is then seen through centuries and centuries of human history in this long sentence of verse 15 we have the very first messianic prophecy That's a prophecy about a coming Messiah. This is often referred to as the the first time in the Bible that we see the gospel or a glimpse of it in the darkness of the Old Testament. Our, Our verse, what we're looking at here, just this first glimpse of something coming, something happening in the future. God's plan slowly being revealed. 
It's something that's not immediately clear here on its own. But it points to a time where this serpent will have his head bruised by one whose heel he will bruise. When we see this in the light of all of scripture, it shows this was always God's plan. See here that nothing happens outside of God's control or his oversight. And so nothing in this story happens outside of the will of God. We know that sin is not pleasing to God and not from God. We know that this rebellion against God, God knew about. Yet we also don't fully understand why, but our only conclusion can be that he allowed it. Logically, it just can't be viewed any other way. We know that he, God, has the power to prevent it, yet he chose not to. We also know that everything happens within his good and perfect hands. Nothing is outside of his control. As we heard last week, there's just a roller coaster of things going on in the life of this church. The seemingly the good, the bad, the ugly. Yet we know and we trust that none of it happens outside of God's will, that it's all within his sovereign rule. So we know, we must conclude that God knew the outcome of this scenario. That means he also knows everything about your life today. He knows everything going on in your life. And friends, this is all confirmed for us here in these verses. Our hope sits wonderfully and securely in the hands of God. And this chapter shows even more to us. It here reveals to us our greatest problem. It's discussed openly there. It's our sin against God and our rejection of him. Something we all do due to us being descendants of Adam. We are all born in sin. All born in rebellion to God. I already know there have been moments, if not whole hours of today already, when you have not loved the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and loved your neighbor as yourself. Friends, this is simply how we are meant to live every moment of every day, but every one of us, every one of us has failed. We can't do this on our own, in our own strength. We are all sinners. I too have not lived like this today. I too am a sinner in need of a savior. Friends, in ourselves, we don't even ask for this. This is not even our heart's desire. This is all God. It is his mercy and is his free gift to us of salvation being offered. None of us want this. Scan back up and look at verse 8. Look there. Do you see the part where Adam and Eve come running to God? No, they don't. They have run away. They've hidden themselves. They know what all of this means. What about there in verse 13? Look there. Do you see the, the part where they are begging God for help, asking God for a solution? No, 
What do they do? They blame each other. They are terrified. The judgment of God we see now turns towards them. You can almost picture the scene with them just standing, staring at the floor, trying to cover themselves, completely horrified. The realization beginning to dawn on them of all that this means, how they had perfection in their relationship with God and they have broken it. How the idea of living forever just moments before sounded amazing and now it sounds just awful. To live forever like this would be torment. This is where death enters in. By God's mercy and by his grace, following man's sin comes the perfect justice of God, but also the perfect mercy of God, all from the same hands, all from him, a holy God. We see here his righteous justice, but also his perfect love. What we see in verse 15, the people didn't ask for All of verse 15, this is all the grace of God. It's his big idea. This is his plan for his people. Friends, if you're a Christian, then this is all for you. This should drive our praise to him. Our assurance that God knows what is happening, that he is in control, that his plan is to save a people to himself. We can praise his holy name. We can celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ. Because we know what that means for us. Friends, as we look at the bruised heel and the bruised head, we see these two things come to pass. Their real meaning is found centuries later as God's promises will be fulfilled. His promises kept and delivered all through this seed that he's talking about. Verse 15 there begins with God's announcement of enmity between the serpent and the woman. And not just that, but between your offspring and her offspring. Verse 15, we see that the serpent and the woman are being used really symbolically in many ways and all now point to a battle like no other. One between good and evil. One between God and Satan. This Enmity that is introduced points to a deep divide, the beginning of a war. That's where we get the word enemy from. This enmity seems to have a beginning here. The introduction of generations and offspring on both sides all points to something big, something ongoing, something well into the future. Here we see in our chapter today that Satan has waged a war on God and then we see God's response God definitively tells him what will happen God is in control in Genesis 4 as we see the woman's offspring already even just within one chapter dividing the division coming Cain killing Abel immediately again it looks like the offspring is in jeopardy. But again, we see God's hand granting even another son, Seth. Immediately we read 
how this causes the people to praise God. Even Eve's name here, the mother of life. Friends, as you read the Bible, who gives birth to who is important. This is how we know who the seed of the woman is. It's how we see the people of God are made known through Scripture. As we study the Bible, as you study it in your own time, you're seeing how these generational battles are happening, all because of what we read here in our verse, between the offspring of the woman and the offspring of the serpent. See God's chosen priest or king, and then those Satan uses to disrupt and destroy. We see it, as I've said, with Cain and Abel. Let me see it with Ishmael and Isaac. You see it with Jacob and Esau. The list goes on and on and on. We see it with individuals, and then we also see it with the people of God, the collective use of this. See Israel and the Philistines, for example, how the future King David fights off a a giant man named Goliath, someone whose armor, amazingly, covered in snake-like scales. David defeats the giant. God's promises hold true. All of this, everything we see from this point in Scripture, all pointing to the coming king. Genesis and beyond Friends, is all centered around these generations and showing how God makes that happen. The Old Testament just walks us through God's plan. So you see the offspring of the serpent, those enemies of God, those who are broken and bruised along the way, how they will be battered and smashed under God's waves or with the sword of God's people or under the rubble of walls that God brings crashing down. It will also be the same people who send an innocent and perfect man to the cross. This list is long, friends, but as we look at Genesis 3 verse 15, we know that the outcome is sure. Difficult, painful, but completely sure. We get to the bruising at the end of 15. I think what we see here is what Adam should have done when the snake first spoke. We have Adam and Eve, all of creation at their disposal. Adam had dominion over every animal and every beast, every bird and every beetle. Yet one, one day, begins to speak. They begin to listen. When one rose up, when one began to assert its authority and dominance, they allowed it. When, spoke, when one spoke against God and ch- challenged who he was, they agreed. Here was a creature rising up against not just the one left in charge, that is man, but against the creator himself. Satan knows this. Satan's plan is clear from the outset. He waited until Adam was away from Eve. Then he began to whisper, to plant these doubts, And this challenge to walk Eve right to the edge of the cliff. To take her right to the edge. Friends, Satan does not have final control. Satan can't cause you to sin. Sin is each of our choice. Friends, sin is something each of us must take responsibility for. 
To turn away from God always means to turn towards something else. Friends, our idolatry always has a name and a location. But also, this is not how it was meant to be. And friends, if you're a Christian, this is not how it will be in the age to come. We are in this gap right now. In the gap between the first garden and the final garden. In this life, we remain in this state, absent from Eden, that is caused by us. Our sin through Adam. And we know that there is a new garden to come where, we'll we, where we will be completely restored. And right now we're called to follow Christ. To obey Him and live for Him. It's like receiving the keys to a house before you can actually move in. If you're a Christian, then this reality of restoration with God, this Full and final communion with him is something we will celebrate at the table this morning. It is a reality for us, but it's not final and complete until Christ comes again and we go to be with him. We are in the already, but the not yet. Friends, God is promising this conflict here in verse 15. He's also promising its resolution. Adam didn't crush the snake in verse 2. If he did, there would be no need for God's mercy. No need for God's justice. As it would have happened. But in his kindness, we have verse 15. Where after all that has happened, God steps in. He steps in and promises there will be one to come. Yes, Satan. Yes, the serpent. He will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel i think this has a collective meaning but is also found completed in a single promised person the seed here of one to come only one that could finally achieve what adam did not and declare it is finished friends to not be of god this morning is to be of the devil of the world. Those two groups are very clear and very distinct. This is terrifying for those in the camp here against God. As we look at these verses here today, and as I said at the beginning, we are all born enemies of God. I do pray that the Lord uses this this morning to reveal to you, to show you For you to be honest about which camp you are in. Jesus himself made these two groups clear. Knowing that we all have a father. Again, this this idea of offspring is clear. In John 8, he's speaking to some religious people. People who looked like they were following God. He says to them, you are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He and that is Satan, was a murderer from the beginning, referring to what happened with Cain and Abel, and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. He is a liar and the father of lies. Friends, to know Jesus is to know the Father in heaven. To follow Jesus is to know God. To reject him is to reject God. This line is 
drawn so clearly for us in our verses. Starting all the way at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, this dividing line continues all the way through, all the way through history, flying over the hills and the valleys of the Old Testament like a beam of light, just growing in the darkness, revealing more and more, dividing the light and the dark, the right and the wrong, the righteous and the unrighteous, God's people and his enemies. This line carries all the way on to the coming of Christ when the light of the world bursts forth in glorious day. And there we see Jesus hanging on the cross. This line complete, the revelation complete, the seed has come. Jesus' own genealogy in Luke chapter 3 showing how God has preserved this line from Adam all the way through to Jesus. Every name there, a promise kept. From David and Judah, Jacob and Isaac, Seth to Adam, the whole way back. Friends, what a hope it is for us today that from the garden all the way to Golgotha, the gospel does not change. It is finally revealed to the world that God has kept his promises. This unchanging gospel founded on the grace and mercy of God. We see his judgment poured out and satisfied in Christ. It's through his victory we have life. It's through his victory on the cross and his return that we see Satan's head crushed beneath his bruised and pierced feet. That is plan A. This is all as it should be in God's will. For he loved creation enough to make it and enough to send his son to die for it in his own perfect timing. There on the cross we see that final fulfillment of this bruising of Jesus' heel. Friends, we too are hiding from him. We are not naturally running to him. Yet his grace and his mercy, friend, if you are a Christian, God has called out your name. He has run out to meet you and he has made a way for his judgment to be passed and his mercy received. That is his free gift of grace to us. Free to us, without cost to you, for Christ has paid the price, a price that you could not afford. Come to Christ. Come to the foot of the cross. See the promised king. The price his battered and bruised body has paid for you. Through one man we are separated from God and through God's only son, the firstborn of all creation, are many sinners saved and restored. Friends, there is no other way to salvation than through this promised seed, Jesus Christ. What a victory Christ has won. What judgment he has endured and what mercy he has delivered. All as God has promised.